Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Well, hello, I'm Aaron Mansfield, and today I'm joined in the studio with my co-host, Stephen Vaughn. Hello, hello, hello. And Morgan McClure. What's up, everybody? Hey, guys, we're so glad to be with you today. And today we're going to be looking at the ordinances of the church and specifically the ordinance of baptism. So we hope that you'll stay tuned and join us for the whole discussion today. Let's go ahead and get started, and uh, we're launching into a really exciting topic today, uh, talking about the ordinances in the local church. And I think this is uh, maybe at first, this would be something that people are maybe somewhat familiar with, especially as we were talking about what is the church uh, this season. But I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of this vagueness uh, when it comes to this topic. Morgan, what would you think about that? Yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment. It can seem a little bit nebulous or just so you know, part of tradition that we don't even really think about it that much. Uh, at least that's been my experience. Yeah, it's almost like um, when you're out and about, like people want to talk about when they were baptized. And it's like, well, I got baptized when I was a kid on a special day. And it like always, there's always like this super duper like tradition, heritage type oriented view of baptism, especially in our culture here in the South where we live. Mm -hmm. Like I know when Aaron and I were out visiting, um, when you you ask somebody about their um, relationship with God, I would say 90% of the time or more, somebody's going to reference and say, well, I was baptized at this church. And they'll, the, and then you'll ask them, you're like, well, uh, what did that mean for you? you? know, And then a lot of times they'll be like, well, you know, it was a special day and my family was there. And it, you're right. It's a very tradition centric type um, action in our church and in our modern church today, I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, especially where we live, it's more shocking, like we're discussing with Nacho Libre, it's more shocking for someone to not have been baptized in this area, this region, this tradition, you know? Uh, yeah, especially I think in the uh, South, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, if in been the church. evangelical mm-hmm. South, maybe that's mm-hmm. uh, that's definitely something of, of people's background that they've been baptized. But I think there's often a big misunderstanding of what does baptism mean mm-hmm. and, and what's involved in that. So, you know, today we're going to kind of like begin the discussion by talking about maybe a little bit of history um, into this discussion, because there is a little bit of discussion determining uh, is, is baptism an ordinance of the church? Is it a sacrament of the church? Uh, You know, for many today, specifically in the Roman Catholic Church, many Eastern Orthodox churches, and even a few Protestant denominations, uh, the term uh, for baptism would be a a sacrament. It would would be something, uh, kind of this rite, this ritual through which God's grace is conveyed to individuals, whereas sometimes uh, many in evangelical circles would prefer to use the word ordinance. So so why is that? Let's let's talk about maybe the history for a second uh, coming into this. Well, many in our in the circle that I have grown up in would refer to it as an ordinance because it was ordained uh, by Jesus Christ. And many times they would reference Matthew 3, the um, time when Jesus was baptized by John and the Trinity is there, right? God the Father speaks from heaven, Jesus is baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And they would argue that it is an ordinance of the church because it was ordained by Christ and then carried out through the early church by the apostles. Uh, but that is not a sacrament. And it's like what you said. Uh, I think Morgan has a really fancy definition for us, but this, it's, <laughs> it's don't. not this, or you don't. Well, uh, I, it's not very fancy. Oh, okay. you like but I thought a, you had one. I do. Okay. Uh, it's very simple. It's just that I, it's the sacrament is something that would save you. That implies an element of salvation in the act itself. Yeah. It, I like the, what you said earlier. It's the conveying of grace. Um, there was a teaching in, um, primarily the early Catholic church that really grew through um, many, much of the medieval period that a sacrament is something that literally it imparts grace to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's one reason why like the Lord's supper 
and baptism was such a huge deal in that church setting in that time period because this was a way of receiving grace. And so like when I partake in the Lord's Supper, I'm receiving parts of grace, right? When I'm baptized, I receive parts of grace, right? And so like it's a different way of thinking through that in that setting than it would be kind of in the setting that I would have grown up in and be comfortable with. And probably many of our listeners. Probably Mm -hmm. I would think that, but I think, you know, we really could kind of split hairs on this point too, Mm -hmm. because um, really, you know, whether you use the word sacrament or you use the word ordinance, I don't know if it really is that big of a difference as much as understanding what grace is Mm -hmm. and how grace is applied. Because, um, you know, we think about, I I think about in Titus chapter three, when Paul uh, writes there to Titus, he says in verse four of chapter three, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us Mm -hmm. not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so I think the question is asked, and we're going to get into this probably more in the episode, but right at the beginning is, is as we think about an ordinance or a sacrament, I think it's, it's asking the question, uh, what is your understanding of grace and how mm-hmm. is God's grace uh, applied uh, to, the, to the believer? Because if, if you think that God's grace comes in a way that uh, it's kind of this this dispensary, you know, um, it, it kind of gets passed out in that kind of dispensary kind of idea. Then it's like, well, then you would look at God's grace coming through those means of an ordinance or uh, even as the Roman Catholic Church has a number of different types of, of, of sacraments. Whereas if you see God's grace as what Paul here is articulating in, in Titus 3 as something that's not by our own works, but it is his own mercy. Uh, it's something that God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. So you would see it um, not conveying salvation in the sense of those acts, but Ragnar, ra- rather it's this kind of sign, this signifier that points to a grace that has already been received. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you use the term dispensary because it was uh, one of the church fathers, Augustine, who really propagated the idea of grace as a medicine and sin as a disease and that you needed the medicine of grace to continuously free you from this disease of sin. And much of what sacramental theology, as far as dispensing grace from the church to you is a lot of it. If you look at it is rooted much in that idea of a dispensary, a kind of a pharmacy mentality of thinking of grace and how can I cure my sin, the disease that's in me and how can I get this cure instead of, God cures me. Mm -hmm. It comes from him. Uh, It's not the church that dispenses grace. It's God. And so I I think you're dead on. Well, even in Ephesians, you know, Paul says, for by grace, we've been Mm -hmm. saved through faith. Mm -hmm. And so it's through that means of my faith in Christ Jesus, his finished work, but it's by his grace. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, we'll we'll probably definitely get into this, especially more at the end of the episode, but let's just begin then by talking about these ordinances of, of, of why. Uh, why in the church, as we think about what is the church, we would probably very quickly say part of that is the ordinances that Christ uh, has instituted. But 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 why 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 baptism? Why the Lord's table? And and why not others? So Morgan, what would you add to that? Well, I think the easiest answer is like these are these are things that Jesus commanded that we do. (laughs) And, and especially, you know, when you think of the Lord's table, he says, do this in remembrance of me, you know, and as often as you drink this cup and you eat this bread, like, remember what I've done for you. And, and same with, um, baptism. It's one of those things that is, I mean, just scattered throughout the new Testament and the epistles. And then in acts it's, you know, we are baptized into one faith, into one spirit. That's our identity with Christ in his death, Hmm. burial and resurrection. So those Hmm. are just very specific things that Jesus left for us. Yeah. So they were commanded? Yeah. I mean, it's commanded in the Great Commission. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty obvious. Let's go to that world. passage because that's a, that's a critical passage. In Matthew 28, uh, Jesus comes to his followers. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. You know, we often jump right there into verse 19 mm-hmm. uh, where he talks about making disciples. But in verse 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. So part of that authority, what is Jesus uh, telling his followers, commanding his followers? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And the way in which they do that is through going and then secondly through 
through well, baptizing. baptizing. Yeah, and um, in this passage, it's interesting because make disciples is the verb, right? And all the others come off of make disciples. As a participle. Go is a that, participle, yeah. baptize is a tar- participle, and teaching, uh, they all come off of the verb go, or uh, make disciples. And so the way you do it is you go, you baptize and you teach. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's literally the verse. Is that's that's defining the making of disciples, and um, it's commanded. <laughs> it's right there, and it falls in line with what we see in Matthew chapter three, uh, when Jesus goes to John. John was like, "No, you can't do this," and mm-hmm. Jesus is like, "No, it's going to happen." And <laughs> um, but Jesus gives us a picture of what baptism should be like. And then the Trinity is represented there. God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And then it comes full circle in this commissioning of they should be baptized in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And it's this beautiful thing that you see kind of start in the beginning of Matthew and then almost carry with through Christ into and his the, ministry. Exactly. And right. then carry through into the end of Matthew right. as Christ leaves. And uh, I think it's a beautiful picture, but it's also commanded. That's the sure. big number one thing here is baptism yeah. is commanded. Why? why Why the ordinances? Why mm-hmm. baptism? Why the Lord's table? Next episode, we're going to be diving into the Lord's table a little more in depth. But today we're looking at baptism. And so, you know, the question is asked, well, why? Well, simply because it's commanded, right? It's mandated uh, by Christ. And sometimes there is a little bit of a discussion in Christian circles regarding the number of ordinances that are given. You know, in the Roman Catholic Church, they would affirm seven sacraments. Uh, in some Protestant denominations, you see not only baptism in the Lord's table, but uh, some would argue even foot washing mm-hmm. is an ordinance of From the church. John. Uh, yeah, in John 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so the question is, well, how many? How many? Morgan? I've only grown up knowing two, so I would say two, because okay. that's my experience. Yeah. Stephen? I, I would hold to two as well because of the emphasis that you see throughout the New Testament, but also the emphasis given by Christ. Yes, there was foot washing, but as far as the emphasis in the New Testament, you see the Lord's table is a huge part. Paul is going to come back around in 1 Corinthians and really hammer on the Lord's table and go right. back through mm-hmm. it. And also baptism is when you're not getting around. It's in the Great Commission. It was commanded (laughs) and then it's carried out throughout the entire book of Acts and the entire New Testament church. Right. And um, so personally, because of the importance, priority, and the way that they are emphasized, I would, would hold, I would hold to baptism in the yeah. Lord's Supper. No, I, I would as well. I would as well. And I think, I think the biblical uh, record in the Bible supports that. Uh, specifically by looking at what is commanded. You know, mm-hmm. I think even example in foot washing in John 13, you know, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, but then he says, I have given you an example so that you should do just as I have done uh, to you. And, you know, Jesus doesn't tell him what I've done to you, but he says, as I have done, and it is, yeah. it, it, mm-hmm. as an example of service. You know, of, yeah. of service. And so I think that passage is probably... Um, Illustrating for us uh, an example of Christ's service, specifically uh, his laying down of his life. I mean, as you ultimately think about him going to the cross. So Mm -hmm. um, I would agree. I I think the Bible uh, for sure supports the two ordinances. And I think those would be the ones that are historically recognized uh, throughout the church uh, centuries. And to be fair, if if you do go to a place that is washing feet, I mean – I don't have necessarily a problem with that. It's just I believe that the two primary ones would be baptism and right. Lord's Supper. Just to clarify that, I don't think that if you have a symbolism of washing feet for service sure. that you're actually sure. carrying out, mm-hmm. if you have <laughs> if you have a conviction that, go for it, man. But as sure. far as like to across the board, you're not getting around this, baptism right. and the Lord's Supper is because there. I think the question is not just what are we doing, but it's why are we doing that? And that's mm-hmm. where we're going to go into in a minute because it's it's the meaning behind it. It's what's represented in it. And, uh, you know, so if we would look at those two, and those are the two that we're going to look at here on the podcast, that of baptism and that of the Lord's table, um, is there an order to those? Uh, does one precede the other? Stephen? I would argue yes. Okay. Based on New Testament record, uh, if you look in the book of Acts, the, they were added to them uh, mm-hmm. in Acts 2. The way that they were added is first you see baptism pop up, but then the church would then um, go about communion as the church. Mm-hmm. And so if communion is for the church, 
well, how do you join the church? Well, if you look in New Testament Christianity, it was through baptism. Mm. Uh, the early church fathers uh, would even write about this. And they would say things like, in order to partake in this, you must have gone through the washing and refer to this baptism as the washing, right? Mm-hmm. In order to participate in the, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, sure. um, they had to be a part of the church. And well, what was the entryway into the church? Well, I the mean, visible entry to the church was baptism. baptism. Read Calvin. Yeah. Read, um, read yeah. uh, I believe it was uh, just, uh, Justin Martyr. Read some of these early church fathers mm-hmm. and you're right. going to see baptism precedes the Lord's Supper. You even see that in the early church history. And you yeah. could go look, you know, if you're listening today, you could go and look at some of these uh, things in early church record. But specifically in the first and second centuries, there was actually a time of examination mm-hmm. and doctrinal you know, confirmation in a sense. Six months to a year, before, depending on... Before that person would mm-hmm. proceed in baptism. So, you know, you look in the book of Acts and you see people being baptized immediately after conversion. And then I think what you see in the early church uh, in a little way is is not being so hasty to, to baptize mm-hmm. somebody, but to see that new life begin to be lived out in their life. And I think we mm-hmm. could we, we could just talk about that. I mean, this is a this, this question comes up. I mean, yeah. uh, or, or are we going to deal with this later about when? I think we're doing this... Well, it's right here now. Let's yeah, talk about it. Why not? Right so now. We don't have to so, stick with the yeah, structure. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so when? I mean, the question is when? When does a person get baptized? Well, I mean, I I was doing a little bit of reading um, just through some literature that our church has, but also I looked up Tertullian in, on baptism because I remember Stephen mentioned that. So I was like, I want to take a take a now, gander at that? that for people who don't know who that I mean, is he was he was one of the early church fathers yes. correct yeah. okay i'm not sure like about what time though and i to, have no idea where he pops fair, up in history i had to do a biographical essay on him once he could be a little crazy on some things so don't like just take that <laughs> yeah. name and be like everything this guy says is like <laughs> you're biblical. not endorsing all there's this some stuff. things that he says that if you look in the bible you're like mm, I, i'm not seeing that but he was an early church father okay, okay. yeah and so he yeah. was of the opinion that you know baptism is not a thing that should be rushed, especially for small children and infants, because, Mm. you know, he said the way he phrases is why is the innocent rushing to the remission of sins? Um, But that's just because like the way I was taught when I was growing up was baptism was symbolic of your salvation, right? So if you have not come to a point of, you know, new birth, yeah, new birth, recognition of your sins, then accepting God's free gift of grace to regenerate your life, then, baptism is not something for you and it's that aspect of identity mm. so until somebody places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and is taking on that new identity as a follower and as a believer sure. i you know baptism the way i was taught and the way i understand it it's not necessary before then sure. it doesn't really make much sense yeah i think biblically and i would go to the book of acts for this biblically what you see in the early church is people being saved and then being baptized mm-hmm. I mean, you even see some verses where the bible says to be saved and be baptized mm-hmm. you know and so i think they happen so synonymously yeah in the early church because it was a way it is the way of of somebody's public profession of faith so let's let's kind of segue here a minute because i think we're already kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves here let's talk about the meaning of baptism what does that mean what does that signify uh what is communicated uh, through that act and um let's first by begin by ask asking the question uh, what did baptism mean uh, during the life of Christ. So when Jesus uh, comes on the scene and specifically, you know, with John the Baptist and John was the baptizer. And so John is baptizing people um, in kind of that Old Testament context. Uh, what is happening there? Uh, how would a first century Jew, Stephen, kind of understand what that process or what that what that ritual of baptism signified? Yeah, so um, pre-John the Baptist, you're going to see a lot of ceremonial washing in like Old Testament Jewish history, right? And think back to the tabernacle. You can go back to the Old Testament in the uh, Torah, the first five books of the law. You can go to Hebrews and compare, and you'll see a ton Naaman, of... Naaman, I think about yeah, Naaman in the Old Naaman Testament. For, and he went for, um, uh, I believe, healing yeah. uh, mm-hmm. because Elisha or Elisha, it was Elisha. Yeah, Elisha uh, commanded him to go and be um, 
baptized in a sense because <laughs> sure. I mean, the words and, used and there. we need to go we need yeah, to go back but, and understand what is baptism we always connect baptism to what we've seen right baptism is literally an immersion and that's that's what the word is to used for to submerge yeah. baptizo in the greek in the new testament it's to immerse and we instantly think every time that we see this word here that it's like well it's what i saw happen in church mm-hmm. and i think we need to think through here and understand that this is a, a washing and immersion word at its outset and then to look in context of why are they being baptized? Why are they being immersed, right? Yeah. Uh, because you're going to see baptism in that sense for ceremonial cleansing, for John's uh, was healing. a baptism of repentance. And baptism so of repentance, so see, changing of the mind. Well, a cleansing, right? Mm-hmm. I think for a first century Jew, baptism would have been this this cleansing, this mm-hmm. purification, a way of being made right mm-hmm. uh, before God. And so... But then Jesus, on the yeah, other so hand, he's the baptized. Yeah, Jesus is. In chapter three. And you have to ask the question, if uh, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, then oh, is this not here. different? <laughs> oh, dang, we're going <laughs> no, go deep. Go because yeah. you do have to ask that yeah, because if talk about you it. say that, then if you say Jesus was baptized with a baptism of repentance then Jesus had to repent from something. And so thus he was not the sinless savior of God. Hmm. And but that why is to get dangerous. Ju- but why did Jesus get precedent? baptized by John's baptism? And Jesus says it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And so I see as Jesus is baptized in John's baptism, it was his way, Jesus fulfilling all righteousness, but in that sense, identifying mm-hmm. uh, as one of us. And mm-hmm. and I think exactly. you see him entering into his public ministry, having taken on the identification now that as Jesus is going to be the sacrificial lamb, as he is going to be the perfect lamb of God uh, to atone uh, for, yes. f- for sin, we see him entering into that through baptism. Yes. Identifying right? as a man and ordaining, I believe, a act, but I also believe that there was not a cleansing uh, that was trying conveyed to, defer- to Christ. You're trying to convey that Jesus had no sin. Exactly. Yeah, he was and sinless. you have to be careful when you're looking at that yeah, because that's a that. thing that you can instantly jump to if you right. read Matthew chapter 3 and you're not comparing Scripture with Scripture. You, know, you just said that, but it made me read. There was a statistic came out by Barna the other week, and it was talking about all these things that are happening, You know, new statistics in the church. One of them was a, t- a statistic. And I, I, I'm going to get this wrong, so don't hold me to this, but it was somewhere in like, I think it was 44% of evangelical Christians believe that Jesus sinned. Hmm. Ooh, I saw I saw an even bigger I saw an even bigger number that uh, Ligonier Ministries puts out a survey like the state of theology, hmm. and they I mean it's split almost halfway down the middle of like so, and this is that Jesus sinned that, I, that Jesus was not without sin and he was you know huh. not totally I don't get it because yeah, if it. that's the case I'm not a Christian anymore because the Bible lies because yeah. it says that he was without sin <laughs> so I mean like instantly Romans is out of the you got to throw mean, Romans out and so it's like at that point why am I even serving a sinful God like right. that's that's ridiculous at that point when so you start we, to pull in strings like that yeah. you can just unravel the whole but that of... shows the importance of having to compare scripture with mm-hmm. scripture because if I read through Matthew 3 you might I could come away with come to that like, conclusion. Hmm. And so that's that's comparing all of scripture with it. So that's kind of a so, background but, but, of baptism, but then where does it shift to, I think, sure. so coming in? Well, we see that in the New Testament, right? Because at the death of John the Baptist, we see baptism really taking on a, a different significance, specifically mm-hmm. as Jesus had died uh, for sin and as he had been buried and raised to new life. Yeah. And now as Jesus, before he ascends to the Father, uh, he he commissions his disciples. And we see baptism now taking on this kind of new shape, and that is to be this outward sign of these people that are the covenant people of God. So Mm -hmm. we ask the question then, what does baptism do? What is it pointing to? Um, And and I think there's a couple things here. You all might have more, but I think the first thing I would say that baptism means is it is is showing a visible symbol of our uniting, our union with Christ. Yeah. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And so, you know, Paul, he says, hey, regardless of who you are, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, a slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. What Paul's saying mm-hmm. is that we have all been uh, uh, baptized if we're in Christ into one body. And so even that picture, I mean, can we just think about that for a minute? Like the picture yeah. of baptism, you were saying to be immersed even, but even that picture, it signifies, it communicates something, right? Yeah. Well, Romans 6, 
Okay. Um, yeah. You mm-hmm. were baptized into Christ and thus with him, in, you were buried with him in baptism into his death and you were raised to walk in newness of life. And mm-hmm. so thus baptism is the picture of us dying. We of, died yeah. with Christ yeah. and we rose again once and once. Yeah. Uh, you're not dying anymore. You died. And there is raised a, to a, new life. Re, a new birth, a mm-hmm. regeneration that happened, right? right? I think the identifying with Christ is so crucial to this. One of the major motives for baptism is because, like Stephen was saying, it's you're literally laying down your old life. Your old life has died, you know, with Christ. It was crucified and then being raised to new life. It's mm. it's because when you do something like that, and then especially in the early church, it was so... I mean, it was just a massive shift in the life of a person. Mm. There, th- this public profession and this identity change. Mm. Of, you know, now I am a follower of Christ, and I can't return to my old life because my old life is dead. Right, you know, dead right. and buried with Christ, raised to new life. So, yeah. No, you said it. it a, a public confession. I mean, that's that's what baptism is. Is yeah. this visible public confession of what has happened internally in the life of a believer uh, through being united in Christ by His grace through faith? Now is in this picture of death, burial, and resurrection uh, through being immersed under the water and then raised in this this just this conveying this that you and I all of us have been baptized into one body now we have been united with mm-hmm. Christ and I think it, baptism was a person's public profession of faith it's it still is it's mm-hmm. it is their public profession of faith in the way in which they are united mm-hmm. and brought into the local visible uh, body of Christ you know we were, we've been which, talking about that I think that that's two things there okay. I, okay I I would separate it into union with Christ or identifying with Christ confession or profession publicly of my faith and then entry into a local New Testament church. Mm. Um, I would kind of have those as separate, sure. but that's no, just I, a side no, I could see that. Just because yeah. I think entry into the church is the way into membership that we yeah. would talk about there. Mm-hmm. I would just say, though, going back to like the last episode, I would look at me like, hey, well, if you're in Christ, then you're a part of his people. Mm-hmm. Like you're a part of his body, you know? And so true. It, true. it's not like an optional one, then two. Like it, it, it happens simultaneously, but like, I, it's just like when you talk about, um, this in history, like Calvin would say, baptism is the initiatory sign by which we are admitted to the fellowship of the church, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is when it happens. And so this is how you publicly profess Christ to all. Cause mm-hmm. I think, uh, of baptisms, normally families are there, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of unsaved people will come to someone's baptism. And so this is the way that you are standing up. And you are shouting to everyone, I trust and believe this is the acting out of my faith, right? right. This confirming. So I have a and question I, for you. Oh, good. Good morning. Well, just in case your question takes me away from this thought. No, but no. also in the sense that unbelievers are seeing too, you're also raising accountability exactly. for yourself mm-hmm. in this public profession. Yeah. Now yep. you have this whole family around you that is going to help guide you in the yep. way of Christ. And you and have so, that. Because that doesn't happen part. if you keep it yeah. all private. Because you know? you're simultaneously yeah. entering into the local church through this. Yeah. Yeah. You just made a statement, though, it's talking about unbelievers. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the question I would ask you guys is, what do you all think of baptistries, you know, in churches? I mean, the church where we serve, we have one, and I, I've used that. But um, but what I, I just sometimes think is I think about baptism being this public profession of faith as somebody unites with the visible church, you know, in, in, in Bible times, you know, people were baptized in a pool or outside in a river, or, Mm -hmm. you know, it was such a public thing that people were seeing a person begin to identify themselves as a follower of Christ. Um, what do y'all think about like (laughs) baptism indoors? I mean, I mean, uh, this is a, this is a totally pragmatic question. I totally I know say, the pragmatics this is of this. Pragmatism. Well, yeah. And my and just, my first thought is like it could be a purely practical reason. It is. Because, no, I think it well, very much is because yeah. we gather as the church and everybody's together, uh-huh. and so this well, is the and, way that we see. And especially in the early church, like people typically didn't have baptistries in their homes. You know, all pools were public, like sure. public, uh, not. Uh, sure. Well, if you look in church history too, one of the big, not one of the big reasons, but one of the reasons why the confirmation act even came to be was one of the cr- contributing factors was that you couldn't baptize for half the year, right? Cause it was too cold right. and there was mm-hmm. ice. And so part of the confirmation act was birthed yeah. out of that, but it was also out of wanting to make sure there was a confirmation period, but sure. I think that it's a pragmatic thing to have an ability to baptize indoors for those that are ready. However, mm-hmm. I would challenge 
the building of ornate baptistries because <laughs> I believe that sometimes you just on a pragmatic level, you can spend so much money and then rarely does that money ever go to good use. And so I always am like, if you have the ability to baptize outside, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, especially as like church plants and stuff, why wouldn't you? Because you're publicly professing. Right. Um, I don't have a problem if you do baptize indoors or have a bath sure. history, but like. Yeah, I don't <laughs> say that question because I, I disagree with it. I say that because I just think, once again, if we're asking the question of what does baptism mean, and if it's if it's illustrating, if it's showing a person's death, burial, and resurrection with Christ, that in itself is a testimony, mm-hmm. testimony mm-hmm. not just to save people, but to unsafe people, people who don't know Christ. And I think sometimes, you know, by by moving, let's say, baptisms indoors, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's as if part of the watching world, if we could say it that way, yeah. um, misses out yeah. on, on seeing that type of public uh, testimony. It's true. And it's really interesting. Um, I, I just say that as a sideline. Well, line. and I graduated yeah. from Liberty, right? And so there are many, many times after a campus community, which was our Wednesday night service, um, people would come to know the Lord. And immediately people from their hall who, because some of the upper leadership, you know, was ordained and was able to baptize people. They'd go baptize them in the pond, but of the library. And that was very public. <laughs> and it most often ended up on Facebook Live. And I was like, hey, that is the coolest thing because very public, you know, <laughs> but then you also could pragmatically ask too, if you have a baptismal pool in your church, does that not convey the centrality of what baptism is? Well, sure so I think does. it's one of those sure double-edged does. swords. And it also serves of the immediacy like, of the need, like salvation, yeah, then baptism. I think there, there is right. kind of a, um, <laughs> it's a pragmatic double-edged well, sure sword. It is. Sure it is. Well, especially the larger your church. I mean, you think about churches of a few hundred people, mm-hmm. you know, the likelihood of them all standing around in a, in a YMCA pool, like yeah. this yeah. doesn't happen. <laughs> like, you know, so I, I totally get it. I totally get it. All, all I'm trying to say is that as we think about baptism, it, it not only says something to the saints, to the church, but mm-hmm. it does say something to the lost as well mm-hmm. uh, yeah. about somebody who, you know, I think about somebody like, you know, the apostle Paul, you know, think about, think about his baptism for a minute. I mean, think about this persecutor of the church. Think about this person that, that, that people knew what he was about, how he was zealous, you know, to persecute Christians. And then he comes to faith in Christ and you are part of witnessing his baptism. Like that, that, that communicates something that says something that Mm -hmm. it wasn't just done in private or it wasn't done behind closed doors, but this was a public thing uh, that people participate and they see, you know, because going back to what we were saying, that quote from Ligon Duncan about, um, you know, um, public worship, you know, we talked about one of those things is seeing the Bible. And well, the way you see the Bible is through one of these is the, the, the means of, of baptism. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, baptism is uniting with Christ. It is a visible entry into the local church. And then, um, I think it points to, um, what Morgan was saying a minute ago of, of the remissions of sins and the indwelling of the spirit of God, Acts two thirty eight, uh, Peter tells them on the day of Pentecost to repent and to be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. so Peter is showing there what? That by being by by repenting and being baptized, um, notice why are they doing that? For the forgiveness of your sins, mm-hmm. and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, that water. Of, of being baptized points to this new life, this cleansing of, of that the spirit of God brings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, c- couldn't we just pause here a minute and say that, and I know you've met people, I have too, people that have, have gone through the public sign, but they've not actually possessed the reality. Yeah. 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 Which goes back to, cause many, many would often be like, well, then do you get, regenerated by getting baptized or you do so you the question get is, is baptism does baptism, baptism save you is it salvific I think you have, or is it symbolic? i think you have to ask that question okay um i think you have to i think you have to and i think we're at the point where we just probably should because we're talking about yeah, it let's talk about it here so how do we how does the bible answer that question i mean i believe the bible answers it pretty straightforward through the entire chapters of romans 5 6 and then i go back to Ephesians, romans 4 you can go to four well, too, but I think the first part of five, it says, therefore, we have been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not through water. Um, it's not through water that you gain peace with Christ. Um, 
early church father, uh, John Calvin would say that he would say, um, they, in first Peter three twenty one, where Peter says that through the washing, you are saved, not because of, not from the filth of the flesh, mm-hmm. but that it is an answer for a good conscience. Um, John Calvin says, for he did not mean to, um, intimate that our abulation and salvation are perfected by water or that the water possesses in itself, the virtue of purifying, regenerating, or renewing nor does it mean that it is the cause of salvation, but only that the knowledge and certainty of such gifts are perceived. And he uses this word in this sacrament. Uh, But his point is water doesn't wash away your sins. Mm -hmm. Only Jesus does. However, there is a confirming sense to baptism that it really does. It does kind of give you this, confession and almost putting the lid on it, so to speak. Tying it off with the ribbon. Yeah, it's the acting out of your faith. I love that term. Um, I believe uh, desiring God, I think Piper uses that term and why might not necessarily be 100% all in on everything he says. I think he nails it on that. It's the acting out of your faith. Um, You can say you have faith. Right. James, faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. But James, yeah, exactly. Are you going to put your money where your mouth is? And I think baptism in a sense is this putting your money where your mouth is, this acting out of your faith. Because Ephesians would say that it's by grace. Mm -hmm. It's not by baptism. Yeah. Because at Uh, the very bottom of that, if if the water is what saves you, you're not putting your faith in Christ for salvation. You're putting it in the water. It's it's the same version. So whenever I said their gospel, I always talk to people about like baptism and, you know, like if water washed away your sins, well, every time you took a shower, you know, your sins would go down the drain. And you're like, (laughs) you just know that doesn't happen that way. Exactly. It doesn't happen that way. It's what the group of... Christianity that I grew up in was not guilty of saying, well, water washes away your sin, but they were very heavy on saying, if you pray and ask Jesus into your heart. Mm -hmm. And it's a similar thing of whatever you're putting your faith in, it has to be Jesus in order to have salvation. Yeah. So just as easy as you can get off on baptism and putting your faith in baptism, you can put your faith in a prayer on the sinner's prayer. and none, neither of those is what's going to save you. It's Jesus Christ and what he's done. Mm. Now, does the Bible say that you need to be baptized? Yes. Mm-hmm. Does it say that you need to confess him and that you should call out to him? Yes, it does. However, all of that is because of God's grace yeah. in your right. life through faith. And this is one of those things that it's baptism is the outpouring of that inward faith, you know, and it's not, it's just exactly like what you were saying. It's it's acting out that faith. And it's something that just naturally as a believer, you're going to want to do, A, and you should do because it's commanded. So Yeah, and right. so I would follow up with that too because many people are instantly going to be like, so are you saying that you have to be baptized in order to be saved? Uh, and then they're instantly going to point to um, uh, Thief on the Cross, right? Because right. everybody wants to talk about the Thief on the Cross. And um, I would push back against that and say, while while baptism does not innately save you, and so you don't necessarily have to be baptized in order to be saved, safe people should and will get baptized mm-hmm. if they have the opportunity. Um, it's very concerning to me if you are saved, quote unquote, if you have placed your faith in Christ and you claim and profess that, and you will not get baptized and you have the opportunity or the ability. Now I get there's there's extenuating circumstances in But those certain can all areas. be overcome. Mm-hmm. Generally. I mean even in the early church, I mean, you know, you we we haven't even talked about the mode of baptism, but you know, there are there is historical evidence in the early church where yes. in certain instances based on somebody having a condition or an inability to be immersed in water, well they pour. would they would pour water. Nine percent things. of the time. I'm saying like so for the person saying, like, who yeah. places their faith and right. then they're driving and then they wreck and die. Like obviously <laughs> like baptism I believe that person goes to heaven if they've truly placed their faith You're in Christ. You're saying baptism is 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 not essential for salvation. But ba- saved people yeah. will and should get baptized. Yeah. Right, because Jesus says, whoever will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Exactly. And so it's a huge exactly. Yeah, can we back up here just a minute, though? Yeah. I want to go back to Romans 4, because I think, you know, if, 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 if we are saying that baptism, as the Bible would articulate it, that baptism functions in a way of of um, this visible uh, confirmation, maybe as a word, visible act of of uh, of obedience. I think what Paul is making the case in Romans chapter four is that baptism for the Christian functions very similarly to how circumcision was in the Old Testament for mm-hmm. Jewish people. 
you know, Paul is making the case in Romans four that Abraham was justified by faith. It was not in his acts of obedience. It was not in what he did, but he was justified by faith. And and Paul makes a statement in, in chapter four and verse 11 talking about that circumcision was, was a sign, a seal of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith. And so it was in the Old Testament, circumcision was functioning in a way that it represented something, it pointed to something mm-hmm. that, hey, Abraham was made right in the sight of God. He had this right standing that was received by faith, but it was worked out in this external marker, this indicator for, for Jewish people in the Old Testament. It was a sign of their covenant. It was mm-hmm. how they, uh, it was a sign of their um, being a part of, belonging. So I think Paul picks up on that in Romans chapter four. He does. He begins mm-hmm. to lay that argument so that when you talk about in chapter six, when he makes the statement about being buried with Christ and raised to walk in this newness of life, he's showing that baptism is now this visible pointer of a, of a mm-hmm. spiritual reality that has taken place within the life of a Christian. Yeah. yeah and I believe in chapter six, if if I read and interpret correctly, even there, I believe he is not arguing that baptism is what saves you, but baptism is a picture of what Christ does in your life. Mm-hmm. And that it, by unifying with Christ in baptism, you are obeying and you're following through with what you said, you know, and I would completely agree with you. Circumcision wasn't the covenant. Mm-hmm. but it was a sign and a seal of the covenant, right? right. And in the right. same way, baptism is not salvation, but you better believe um, saved people will and should get baptized mm-hmm. right. according to scripture. Yeah, I think like, the thief on the cross yeah. is, is an example of an exception, but that is not... Descriptive, not prescriptive. Right, <laughs> I because I mean... You never find people, the reason they're not getting baptized is because they're physically nailed to a cross and they're almost dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, and if that's, if that's, if that's your story, awesome. Well, there is something in scripture that points to that, but... If there is any ability and any time in your life to have it happen before death, the Bible would point to that you should go to every length to follow through and obey in believer's baptism. Mm -hmm. Sure. So there is kind of a a pendulum, if we could think about it like that, where Mm -hmm. I think in some churches, baptism is the ordinance of baptism is purely looked at as a symbol as a picture, as a memorial. And then I think you could swing the pendulum maybe f- real far in the other direction to show that, no, baptism is a means of receiving grace. It is it is the way in which that grace is not only received, but it's applied into the life of a Christian. So the question I want to ask then as we kind of maybe wrap up today is, is asking, okay, in that pendulum of things, where does the Bible land? How, how does the Bible um, uh, present baptism in a way uh, is it purely a, a, a symbolic act, or is there something in that ordinance? Is there something happening in that moment that is a true supernatural work of God? I would say that there is an aspect, an element of spiritual mystery to what, you know, that not everything can be explained. Is It's, yeah, purely a symbol. Because I think if you swing too far that way, then you fall back again on the argument, okay, if it's just a symbol, then it doesn't really matter that much. Mm. Um, but a sign, you know, what's the point of a sign is to point to something greater than the actual sign itself. And when we follow through on Jesus's command to be baptized and when, you know, making disciples and baptizing others, there's, there is something so profound in identifying with a living Savior right. who was died and he died on your behalf. He was buried, and then he was raised again. So now you are you're following through in that same symbol, right? But he's it's that unity with Christ. That's not just a symbolic thing. Unity with Christ is very spiritual, very supernatural, because you can't really it doesn't yeah. just happen. And yeah, because I asked a question. We've been I think talking about well, what does it communicate to others? What does it communicate mm-hmm. to the lost of the church? But what is it doing for the individual? Yeah, you know is. In that moment of being baptized, is there a supernatural work of God happening in that moment for the individual? I believe that in that moment that there, by the acting out, if we want to use that of my faith, that there is, um, there is something special about it. Um, now is it the imparting of grace? I, I'm not going to land there because I believe grace by faith because of Ephesians, uh, chapter two and Romans chapter four through six. However, there is something special about identifying with what Christ has done for you. Um, Romans six makes the comparison about how Jesus has done this, you know, and how it's very important and how there's a picture of this. 
And I think that there's also an important factor of obedience and following through with what's been commanded. Mm -hmm. Um, I think oftentimes we don't emphasize enough in our day and age, the importance of obedience. Mm -hmm. That's Uh, good. All throughout the old Testament, um, you look and obedience was valued by God. Mm-hmm. And then you look specifically, uh, at, I think it was Samuel and Saul, right? And Samuel's like, hey, God doesn't really care about your sacrifice. What he does care is about your obedience. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes we're like, man, I'm going to place my faith in God, you know, and then I'll follow through with baptism whenever I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Yeah. Well, are you saying that you're not ready to obey what God has for you? (laughs) Because no wonder that, and I think that there's a blessing of obedience that happens. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's not a a supernatural like work. No, I think it is. Well, it is, but I'm saying like, it's not a supernatural work as far as like, there is a washing away of your sins. I think we would, I would want to push back against that. But I think that there is a supernatural blessing for your obedience and your acting out of your faith that you have claimed to have. Mm -hmm. And I love, and it goes back to the quote that I mentioned earlier um, that Calvin said, it's the knowledge and certainty that such gifts are perceived through baptism, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's finally like this kind of certainty that's there finally or like mm-hmm. i did do that you know because sure. i publicly there's said a it confirmation now. there's yeah. no going back yeah. it's happened yeah <laughs> right and and the, i think the knowledge of that is what produces and what opens up the avenue for spiritual growth mm-hmm. knowing and confirming that unity with christ because then if you push against that and you're you're walking innocence and disobedience it's going to stunt your spiritual growth if you d- can't right. be yeah. obedient you know to that f- one of the very first things that is commanded of us as yeah. believers to be baptized, then yeah, disobedience is sin, and so if sure. you're living in sin, how sure. can you expect exactly. to be blessed? Right, right. I mean, John, Jesus said that in John 14, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." Mm-hmm. It is an act of obedience, and it is the first act of obedience for the Christian. I think mm-hmm. baptism truly demonstrates by that willful act of of following through in that. Um, in that act of baptism is is demonstrating our faith, our our obedience to Christ. I I want to look at one last passage before we wrap up, and that is in First Peter chapter three. Yep. This is a passage that I think often does not get talked about, <laughs> mm-hmm. at least in yeah. circles mm-hmm. where where I grew up. And uh, I think it is so helpful to think about baptism because Peter, you know, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost to repent and be baptized, he calls them to that. But notice in his epistle in chapter three, verse eighteen, he he. He kind of explains baptism. He sets it up in this way. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's that's the work of God. That's what he did. Mm-hmm. Notice how did he do that? By being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. And then he uses that mm-hmm. to talk about baptism in verse 21. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this. What is he talking about? He's talking about Noah and the ark. He says, which corresponds to this, now saves you. That's what Peter says. Mm-hmm. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, and and having been subjected to him. So we can clearly go to places in scripture like Luke chapter 23, where you see the thief on the cross and Jesus Mm -hmm. promises him that he will be with him in paradise. And we have to come away with that, with this understanding that baptism is not essential for salvation. However, as you see what Peter is outlining here when he talks about baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you. Mm-hmm. I, I think what Peter is emphasizing in that passage is exactly what you've been saying, Stephen, that baptism is essential for obedience mm-hmm. uh, because Jesus commanded it. You know, I think it's 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 the same it's the same argument that people use about, you know, church. It's like, uh, well, do I have to go to church to go to heaven? Well, of course not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course not. But do you go to a church to obey Christ? Uh, yes, yep. yes, you do. <laughs> you and, 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 and if you're not inclined, if you're not inclined in your life to obey Christ or to follow his commandments, then that might really be an indication or a sign to you that you're not headed to heaven, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, I think once again, th- that, that what Peter is showing is that 
that act of baptism is there is something supernatural in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would be, agree with you, Stephen. I, I I don't believe we're saved by baptism. I think it's I think trying to articulate baptism in a way that that says it it, it conveys grace is a is a bad way to say it. Mm-hmm. I just don't think I think it muddies the water of uh, to what the salvation justification really is. But if we are to understand rightly that to be saved means that I will be baptized. It, 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 it not only is it a not only does it say something in the life of the individual, but it I think it is a I think there is a supernatural work that happens in that moment that um, you know I tell people this when when I have the opportunity to lead someone to the Lord often I I I I've quickly after they get saved talk about baptism because I think um, salvation by grace through faith and something that people cannot see is their faith. Mm-hmm. You know, they could say they could profess to have faith in Christ, but it is when you follow through with that in that act of obedience that people get to see the faith that you claim to have. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it does something uh, spiritually in the life of a believer when that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, and, yeah, go ahead, Morgan. Well, I was just going to bounce off of that and say, like, our faith in Christ is never supposed to be just a purely private thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would be the point of the Great Commission yeah. and, and going and making disciples? And and even even when you do think about the thief on the cross, that was a very public declaration of faith that he made in front sure. of everyone who mm-hmm. was watching, you know? And so uh, baptism is just one of those things where it, it is other people can see it and it's for your edification and following in that obedience that you are declaring this is who I am and I am one of Christ's now. Yeah. And whenever I explain the great commission, um, I always just explain it to people as, cause their first question is always like, so then why are you talking about faith? And it's like, well, because scripture says it's grace by, through faith, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're saved by grace through, through faith. faith. However, baptism is that setting apart, and that confirming of an act of faith in someone's life. Mm-hmm. And a disciple is someone who's willing to obey. Um, yeah, and right. so, I, and even in so first... So you, you would say that baptism is not necessarily maybe a means of grace, but it's an act of faith. It's an act of mm-hmm. faith yeah. because faith is active. And even in First Peter yeah. 3, uh, the word there for an appeal is this idea of an inquiry, appeal, or even a profession and a pledge. And mm-hmm. I think of this idea of an appeal to a good conscience and how that connects to an obedience of someone who is saved, right? Because even in First Peter 3, he says it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It, it's not about you. It's not about the water. It's not about any of that. It's about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And your faith, like you said, is always internal. And so as humans, we need to externalize and act out our faith more because faith is active, right? We mm-hmm. always teach that faith's active, but rarely do we explain it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we always, if you have ever been to like, uh, if you've ever heard a salvation sermon, you've always heard um, faith, you know, and you've heard the, ch- the chair illustration, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think it's a fair illustration. What do you mean by that for folks who so, don't know that? Um, I'm sure you've heard it if you've heard a salvation sermon, but <laughs> if you haven't heard it, it's the idea of like, um, faith is not just saying the chair will hold me, but it's an sitting active ascent it. to it and sitting in the chair, okay. which is yeah. a fair illustration. Sure. Faith is active. Sure. However, when we talk to people, we're like, just believe in your heart. Well, yes, believe in your heart. That is faith. Yes. Grace is received through faith. However, faith is must come out of the heart as well. We also Mm -hmm. confess with our mouth. And there's a confession that must be made. And the primary confession of faith, I believe in the New Testament is through baptism. I'd agree. Mm -hmm. I'd agree. Yeah. So baptism really is our public profession of faith. Mm -hmm. And uh, then next week, we're going to pick up by talking about the Lord's table and how that is our ongoing confession of faith for those who are in Christ. We hope you join us there next time. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you've heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. On our next episode, we'll be considering uh, the Lord's Table. And so we hope that you join us there next time as we talk about the ongoing confession of faith. See you then.